uh, as we get ready to dive into Acts 19. <clears throat> Father, we do praise you for that report. We thank you that you work in so many, uh, you're, you're involved in everything and that you are in the smallest details. You hear our, our smallest and lightest prayers and you are so faithful. And we just thank you, Lord. We, we're, we're blessed to be here, to be able to read your word and to, um, <clears throat> to, to learn from you, Lord. So we sit at your feet and uh, please speak to us today through this uh, book, Acts chapter 19. And uh, just do your work, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, Acts 19, last week we talked about the, the Holy Spirit. And we're not gonna, I'm not going to rehash that. We've, you know, we've, we spent significant time in that um, in the past as well. But we are going to continue to see the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. And that's really uh, with what a lot of people say is that this book can easily be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, because it's in every chapter the Holy Spirit is moving. <clears throat> and um, I do want to use uh, last week to, sh- to sort of set up this week because we see Paul getting ready now in Acts chapter 19 to begin his big work in Ephesus. So he spent a lot of time in Ephesus um, he said, I believe, when he was writing the book of Ephesians, that he was there for th- up to three years, I believe. And so this is that part when he was there on his third missionary journey. And this is when a lot of the <clears throat> uh, work that he did was accomplished, the teaching, the, the being able to settle in, raise up leaders. And so <clears throat> the picture that we see here and the pattern that we see here is that when there's going to be a work of God, when there's going to be uh, the Lord is going to move, he equips his people with himself. And so Paul is coming, he arrives to uh, uh, Ephesus, and in his mind, you know, Paul, uh, we see the pattern. He wants to probably find leaders, plant churches, uh, hook up with the people that he met with the first time around. And uh, he meets these, these 12 men in the first part of the chapter. And he lays hands on them and he, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's just not an abstract thing that God does. He does it for a reason. He doesn't do it so that we'll feel good. He doesn't do it so that we'll, you know, oh, wow, this is, you know, really neat. We got the, we got uh, supernatural stuff happening. Although that is true, but God's plan is always to point people to Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's doing right now, what we see is a, is a foundation being laid. So Paul's going, goes to Ephesus. He, he meets these 12 men. <clears throat> he gets baptized, they baptize them, he baptizes them in the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. And then we see him begin his ministry. And um, right in chapter eight, we see this same um, idea where we've seen Paul everywhere in almost every chapter. He goes to the synagogue. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse eight. He goes to the synagogue and he continues to speak out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And so what we're, what we're going to see here is <clears throat> now that Paul is there, now that the Holy Spirit is working, what ends up happening in the spiritual realm? 
we see the enemy start to stir things up. And so we have to, what I, what I really want to focus on today is not underestimating the spiritual battle that's going on in each of our lives, personally, individually, a, a literal strategy that the enemy has against you to get you to either slow it down, speed it up, whatever the case may be, you are the enemy to the enemy and you are the image of God and that's what the enemy hates. But worst of all, what he hates is the fact that there's a new authority and a new ruler that has taken over and that is Jesus Christ. And that's the essence of what is going on here. So when he says, when we read about he's reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God, before we go further, what exactly does that mean when you hear the words kingdom of God? What does that mean to you? Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. You know, we don't think about the question. I'm going to come back to it, but we don't you know, usually if, uh, if, if we're out and we say, oh, yeah, I was talking to someone at the grocery store and I was reasoning with them about the kingdom of God. Right. We don't say that. We say, you know, I shared Jesus with them or I was talking about church or I gave them a track or I prayed with them. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. <clears throat> but Paul launching this, this the, you know, this new movement, the, new, the you know, the church. Throughout the book of Acts, we see this phrase over and over and over. And this is the topic and the subject, not only of Paul, but this is what Jesus spoke to his disciples too. Remember when he spoke, obviously through his ministry, but remember before his ascension, all all the way back to his resurrection, that gap of time, it says that we read about in John that he was, I believe it's Luke or one or the other, but he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. That's what he was speaking to them about. Because that's what just, that was the big news that just happened. The kingdom is now established. I'm not saying it's here in its fullness and all that other stuff, but the kingdom of God is established. And my question to you is what, in your view, does that mean? Who would like to give give their take on it? Amen. That's great. Anyone else before I comment on one really, really, really good word that, that Debbie said that really, really sums it up? Anybody? No. Rain. There you go. You know me too well, Chris. Yes, the word rain. And you know the word. <clears throat> See, because the kingdom of God is about <clears throat> the rule of God now being reestablished or established. His reign has now begun. He has defeated sin and death at the cross. He has disarmed the principalities and powers. He has taken Satan <clears throat> off of the throne of this world that he rightly could say it was his because it was a fallen world and God had to be just. 
So he could go to God and he could accuse everybody because they're not being what they were supposed to be. They weren't being those image bearers. But then the ultimate image bearer comes and he takes rightfully, this is all about authority. It's all very legal. It's a very, you know, it's, it, there's, there's uh, the whole entire process of the kingdom of God, the switch of power, and Satan's authority over your life all has to do with the actual uh, uh, legality of that authority that they have over you. So legally, Jesus is now the rightful king overall. Now, does that mean <clears throat> you would think uh, if we were writing the story, we would just say, oh, yeah, and there's victory after victory after victory, and everything's getting better, you know, the, everything's more colorful, there's, there's, you know, there's no more, a lot, crime is decreasing, you know, more people are coming to church, hey, the kingdom is here, that's not what, that's, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about war. The kingdom of God is about war. It's a war between the people of God and Satan. The, the, the authority has been swapped, okay? And, we, we, and I, the analogy I love to use is, is a, 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 the military analogy, and we could see it happen throughout the world, where countries go in to other countries and they take over the government, like we see uh, apparently happening now in the Ukraine, right? So Russia apparently is bombing Ukraine. The troops haven't stormed in yet. But once a certain cap, once the capital falls or once certain big cities start to fall, Ukraine, the, uh, the, the leader of Ukraine may say, OK, uh, you know, you're, Russia is going to is now taking over our country. But the Ukrainians aren't going to go. They're not going to go with that, are they? No, this is their land. They're going to fight. Russia would have to go in and win all those skirmishes and before the government is fully turned over and, the, and that country is fully made Russian, there would be war and there would be battles, even though they may have their flag. And that's the concept of what Jesus is saying. And that's where we can't get confused. Jesus took over the authority of, of creation again. He put his stake in the ground. It is his. He owns it. And his, his plan is for us to bring that to its fullness and its accomplishment to the end. And he has chosen us to do just that. And, and, and we're exactly where we need to be in terms of where we are in our life. Right now, this is where God has us. But he always wants us pushing forward and bringing in that kingdom with the gospel message conversions, praying, all the spiritual warfare, all the spiritual weapons that we have. And so the kingdom of God is about God's rule. And so Paul is reasoning and persuading the people in the synagogue that this is about the kingdom of God coming in. This is what Jesus did. Now, why did he, why did he so much focus on that? Because the kingdom of God was the ultimate hope of Israel. This is what they were waiting for. And so he had a reason and persuade them because it wasn't what they thought. It didn't look like 
what they thought it was supposed to look like. And they didn't see the Messiah as a guy that went, was going to go to a cross and die and then be raised again. So Paul had to convince them to do this. There's a couple scriptures uh, about this hope of Israel. Remember in Acts 26, if you've read that far, King Agrippa, Paul's talking to him. And Paul says, I am standing before you for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. For this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. And again, in Acts 28, I am wearing this chain. He's talking, uh, he's in Rome with the Jewish uh, rulers for the sake of the hope of Israel. And then it says, Paul stayed two years in his own rented lodging. This is at the very end of Acts 28, the very end of the book of Acts. And welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered in Rome. And so this is what Luke is bringing us to. He's, he's showing us that the kingdom is, is moving in and this little tiny microcosm of an area, Rome, symbolically the leading at the leading uh, uh, government of the world, Caesar, the ruler of the world, Paul is, is now, we're seeing Luke starting to build up the intensity, build up the intensity till the ultimate, con- the ultimate conflict at the end. Paul in Rome with the gospel. And this is, uh, you know, the ruler, Jesus said, the ruler of this world is being cast out. It's a play on that because he is being cast out. And eventually Rome does become Christian, which is uh, uh, an incredibly bizarre thing if you think about it. So Paul is having this direct confrontation now with the Jews. But Luke is starting to show us that this is going to be more than just this preaching, there is going to be direct confrontation as well with the evil, with the, the spiritual forces, the darkness and the evil in the, in the spiritual realm. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So when, um, when Matthew, right after John the Baptist is killed, or yep. dies, the Lord starts to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. <clears throat> yeah. So he's talking about the cross. Because that's when it will be established. Well, so yeah, so in Matthew, he uses kingdom of heaven, yeah. and that's interchangeable with kingdom of God. Uh-huh. Um, he was speaking to the Jews primarily, and so the Jews didn't use the word God, and they sometimes they wouldn't even say it. You know, they would just use a... Not use the, right. The word yes, the tetra, whatever it's called. I forget, tetra, mammogram, or whatever. The ma- mammogram. <laughs> tetra mammogram. <laughs> No, (laughs) I'm going to cut that out. I can't think of the name of it. But yeah, they would put the little words. That's where we get Yahweh from. So what what happened is, is after you're saying that he right after John the Baptist was killed. Yes. Is he talking about the cross? So near, the, the near part, the near to cross is the cross. Yeah, well. Sometimes we think the kingdom like. Right. Yeah, or the he- or heaven. Or heaven. 
right now we're able to go to heaven because I'm here, the kingdom of heaven. No, the kingdom of heaven is God's rule bearing down on this world. God's rule, God's kingdom is near. It's about to get reestablished. And that's the words they wanted to hear from the Messiah. When the Messiah came, he would reestablish the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God, and Israel would then be able to be the light of the world. This was the whole entire plan that was played out with Christ. But yes, in order for the kingdom of God to be uh, the throne, to be able to be occupied by Christ, and that kingdom to be put under his, he had to go to the cross. And a lot of times people will play those two things off of each other. It's the cross, and then the kingdom is later, or it's the cross, and, you know, the kingdom is just in our heart. It's nowhere else. It's once you believe in Jesus, it is in our heart. But there was a major legal transaction that taught, that took place. And so whenever you see the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of God is here, uh, um, the gospel of the kingdom, all that is the same, same language about God's rule now being brought to earth from heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. This is the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. And that's exactly what is, how it's playing out. So does that answer your question? Yes. Great. So, uh, yeah, so, so it's important to know that because if you don't see, if you, if, you, if you don't have a proper view of the kingdom, then you really, you, you, you sort of get off kilt on everything else. You know, everything else sort of can be, it's, it's not like, well, if you don't have this specific view, you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. Salvation is by grace, God's work in our heart, and yes. But the kingdom is something that we are a part of and that we are to have a very big role in propagating through the preaching of the gospel and the living out of the gospel. And, and one of the things that we have to do is confront, this is war. It's not physical war. It's not violent, okay? That's what the, the, king, that's what the Jews wanted. They, they wanted to bring it in with violence. They, wanted to, they were the zealots. But Jesus is saying, no, this is an upside-down kingdom, okay? This is about love and approaching the, um, uh, the sin with the truth. And then that would be reversed. And so soon as he starts to do this, we see the Holy Spirit... Uh, we see Paul going into the synagogues for three months, boldly preaching. And then right in verse 9, what happens? We see the confrontation. Some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, which is, the, which is what they called Christianity at that time. So he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, which was, Tyrannus was apparently this very wealthy Greek uh, philosopher, educator, and he had this lecture hall, this school. And so Paul was able to go there and teach. And that took place for two years. And talk about, you know, we talked the other couple days or a couple weeks ago about Paul being encouraged by being able to fully devote himself to the word of God. And so <clears throat> this is your biggest weapon against the evil spiritual forces and wickedness that wants to battle with you. This book, not the pages, not the ink and all that, but the word of God, the Bible, the word of God is our weapon 
against the spiritual forces. Who can talk to me about that? What are, what, what are some of these, what are some of the ways that we can, that we can take this weapon? You're, I'm, I'm a new recruit and I'm under your charge and you're going to equip me with a weapon called the word of God. How do I use it to defeat the enemy? Teach me. Just, when, um, just go like this. You're always encouraged to use your testimony. I don't want to put that part that way down. Um, that could, that works, but um, I found it to be more effective when I use God's own word in presenting the gospel. Um, whether you know, I, didn't, I, I didn't necessarily have it memorized. I, I was using tracks and I was saying yeah. here and you know and, and that that really made I felt even. Um, in my in sharing it, I, I felt more um, uh, in, uh, strengthened, emboldened to do that because it wasn't my words. I wasn't trying to 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 say to my wife, but I think that's you know. To, so to tell someone when how how can I share? I've been telling people, you know, just use God's own word because yeah. there's power in His word. It isn't, you know, it's. It says it has a, a double-edged sword, right? It cuts through bone and marrow. Yes. So I think that that's encouraging that if you are reading the Word and you're you know, learning the Word and you're um, um, meditating on it, then you can use the Word itself to speak. And it's neat, and, and I've been taking this course recently um, through my work, and uh, one of the things that it was uh, encouraging is to, when you're speaking to someone, you can use the word you can say, like, there's a saying that goes, and you don't necessarily have to right. use yeah. uh, verse this, chapter this, to the person who's reading, they have no context of that. But you can say, you know, there's a saying, and there's an old proverb, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and to grab them, and then they're, they're, they're encouraging you to see. You know, a lot of times they'll go back to that, like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And that'll suddenly be your opening to, sh- to share the gospel even deeper, so... I think it's trusting that the word is doing the God is doing the work through His work because yep. it's His own word, and that's where the power comes in. It's the fact that it's His. Good. So that's what I would encourage. That's uh, good. Encourage. So that's a good offensive weapon. Uh, so Claudia just said, "Here, go on the offense. Know the word of God. Put it in your heart. Read it. Meditate on it." You don't necessarily need to quote the address, the chapter, verse every single time. If if that's what you like to do, fine. You could just you could talk, you could paraphrase it if you have to. But it's good to know it, you know, and then work it in the conversations. Any other? Uh, when, yeah. When, when the person, when you're when you're when you're discouraged, when you're in a situation where you feel there's no way out, I mean, the word of God is so helpful to remember who He is, mm-hmm. and just to, to say, Lord, I. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, my situations and turning for my good, or whatever, you know, but there's, I mean, songs have been such a source of blessing yeah. to me, that, that Lord, you hear, I'm desperate, so can you see, and, and it's so wonderful, it's his work, 
Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, so it's good because she was saying more of an offensive, but you're talking about a defensive mechanism as well, too. We need to be able to, when the enemy starts to accuse guilt, shame, doubt, um, all sorts of, you know, things the enemy will give us. See, we're, you notice in the scripture, it's like godliness with contentment is great gain, right? Like you get these these passages about just being restful and peaceful and resting in Christ. And so, yes, we've got to do that. But without the word of God, Satan, you try to do that, Satan will mince you up and destroy, he'll chop you up and spit you out. You can't be outside of this word here. You've got to use it as a, we use it offensively, not offensively, but on the offense. <laughs> And we use it on the defense in many different ways. And so however you have to do that, you know, like I remember when I was going through a really tough time, I would write down scriptures, uh, you know, before this was before the notepad on the cell phone and all that. But I would write down scriptures and put them in my wallet and then, you know, just open them up every day throughout the day. Just to continue to to not go, oh, I gotta I gotta brainwash myself with this, but to to go, God's got me. He's got my back here because he says it right here. And the one one of the biggest scriptures was always John or Matthew eleven, twenty-eight, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so that's the one of the ones and many others that you know have spoken to me. The the other thing too, on what Claudia was saying, <clears throat> I one of the um Things that I used to really love to do when I shared, shared my faith was get people to read the word of God. So they're asking a question and I say, read this. And then they go, oh, you know, and they start reading it and hearing it. And what do you think that means? Read this, you know. So the word of God can be used, obviously, for sharing our faith and, and, and teaching in every aspect of life. But we have to remember that the enemy wants you to think that there's other things that are going to be able to defeat him. There's your own self-discipline and there's your own, not that self-discipline is bad, but there's your own, you know, abilities. It's, uh, you know, I can, I, I, I'm okay with, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's going to be fine. No, the, we have to understand that this is where the battle lies. And so, <clears throat> Satan's rule, yes, it was taken down, 
<clears throat> but he is very, very, uh, well, it says here, <clears throat> I've watched, Jesus said um, <clears throat> in uh, Luke 10, when he turned the 70, when the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And then in Revelation 12, 9, it says the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. <clears throat> and the accuser of our brothers and sisters, again, in Revelation has been thrown down. <clears throat> the one who, excuse me, who accuses them before your God day and night. And for this reason, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath, knowing his time is short. <clears throat> and then I know this is Revelation, so there's lots of views and lot, but, but here we go. The dragon was enraged with the woman who gave birth to Christ and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So <clears throat> Satan has been defeated. He has been cast down off the throne. But he is wants, not wants, he is at war with the people of God. And so we have to make sure that we obviously use, uh, we obviously think that, remember that, and use the word of God as our, as our defense and our offense. And so the armor of God was written <clears throat> in this context to who? Who was the armor of God written to? Uh, not uh, the specific people. Does anyone remember what, what book it's in? Ephesians. Ephesians. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians where he's at right here, where we're at right now, the people that he's ministering to. And he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Just think about this for a second. Rulers the powers, the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. And we always want to think, you know, there's, we, we get the picture of like, you know, every, all the bad guys in heaven looking down at us, going, yeah, let's get him. That's not what it is. They're here, right here in this realm. Heaven is just a veil away a dimension away that we're not able to see. That Jesus is able to walk in and out of that dimension as we see him now raised from the dead. He can go from the heavenly to the earthly very easily. So can certain angels of the Lord do the same thing. And that demonic realm is going on right simultaneously around us. There's a hedge of protection around this church right now, I believe, as we're preaching the word of God. Sometimes that hedge gets, you know, uh, in, you know, broken into, broken through for God's purposes, maybe, or God's will. But he wants us to know, Paul wants us to know that this is about the spiritual battle. And this is what happens when he was in Ephesus. He had more spiritual darkness, I think, than any other place. 
Not that there wasn't a lot of sin in Corinth or a lot of sin in, in uh, Galatia or anything like that. But look what, <clears throat> look what was going on here. God was, this is verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. <clears throat> so here we have <clears throat> just the picture of the battle that's going on here. The picture of the power that God is, is, is manifesting through Paul, that even a handkerchief uh, that were carried from his body were touched with, to, to, to a sixth person. The, the handkerchief had nothing to do with it. It was the power of God because this was an evil, an evil confrontation. Then some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by uh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, Jesus, who Paul preaches. That. The seven sons of one Sceva, or Skeba, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They beat, they beat, got, they, this one guy gave them a beatdown, seven of them. That's pretty, pretty powerful, right? And this became known to all so that both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus and all and fear fell upon all of them and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So we see this spiritual battle here. Now, my, <clears throat> a lot of times people say, well, how come we see all this stuff then and we don't see it now? And I think that's more of a Western sort of thing that people say. Because as we, you know, we hear a lot about what's going on, on the, in, the, in the Eastern countries, especially, you know, we're very familiar with India. And um, it's, you know... <clears throat> It, when you talk to somebody there and you were to say to them, you know, the demonic realm isn't really real or people aren't really still possessed, they would, it would be like, uh, they, they wouldn't even understand what you mean. They would say, what are you, are you crazy, right? Because that's what they experience. Now, I don't know why, maybe there's difference. There's, listen, there's strategy going on in that realm. But now you have to imagine as Jesus is just taken over the throne and Satan and all of his minions and demons or whatever you want to call them are now, you know, unsettled in what they're used to be. Now there's people, not just Jesus, but thousands of Christians going out. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of battles, you know, sort of like the first initial battle of a war. This first initial charge is usually the worst. People are scattering around. They're trying to figure things out. And so as time goes on, I think Satan gets smarter in that. Remember, rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness. This is a hierarchy. This is like an army, an organized army against us. And so, yeah, maybe they used to do stuff like this then, these evil spirits, but now maybe they've gotten smarter. I believe they've gotten more wise to know how to deal with us, to know how to manipulate, especially now with technology and all the other things that are increasing, knowledge increasing. And now, 
<clears throat> again, many of those who, who believed came confessing and disclosing their practices. Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. This is a lot of money. This isn't just like a few books. This is, uh, there's two schools of thought. If it was a talent of silver, 50,000 talents of silver, each talent was a day's wage. So you're looking at around uh, a few million dollars worth of books. But if it was a, uh, what do you call it? A um, dinar, was it dinaris? What was that? No, uh, is that what it says in your notes? I, I, here's the notes that I took. I was just trying to remember it. So 50,000 pieces of silver, <clears throat> um, if it was a, um, uh, a denarii, a one thing, I had it wrong before, that would be a day's wage, and that would equal to about $5.5 million. But if it was a talent of silver, that's a year's wage, and that would be around $1.5 billion now for us. So it's... Regardless of how much it is, I would, I would say it's, it's probably more on the million side. I think it's more of a day's wage. But, you know, look at the, the amount of books. I mean, it was probably fill this whole parking lot, like with, with, I mean, piles of them. People coming in with these books. And what were they about? Magic, the spiritual realm, demonic books. And so... There is a major spiritual battle going on here for Paul uh, in, this, in this area. And so the word of God now grows mightily, it says here in verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. See how it works. <clears throat> but again, now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and, and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I will go see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, uh, Timothy and Erastus, he stayed in Asia for a while. And so here, from verse 23, all the way pretty much to the end of the chapter, is a uh, one scene of Paul getting brought into this amphitheater He got grabbed by these guys here. This guy, Demetrius, his name was. It says, at that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, verse 23. For a man named Demetrius, he was a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. He was bringing a lot of business. Now, Artemis was the, 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 there was a huge temple in Ephesus um, of this, this god, um, Artemis, and it was the, uh, you know, their bragging rights, basically. And Paul was speaking against it. God's, God's made with hands or no gods at all, he was accusing them. And so this temple was worthless, he was saying. I'm, I'm just sort of summarizing here. <clears throat> and when they heard this, they were filled with rage. So we see this pattern here now. Where these people are getting worse. 
We see these demons getting wiped out. We see the magic getting wiped out. We see the books getting thrown out. And then we see a bigger onslaught and attack. You see how it's growing bigger and bigger and bigger here in Ephesus. And uh, the city was in total confusion. They rushed with one accord into the theater after dragging along Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go talk to them, but they said, no way, don't do it. Don't venture into the theater um, because that he would have been killed. So anyway, let's take another, let's take a couple of minutes before we close and just think of some application um, that we can take out of this. I, I know we, we talked, obviously, the word of God, right? This has to be our number one weapon as it relates to the spiritual wickedness and dark for everything that's going on in the spiritual realm that's against us. <clears throat> the word of God has to be our weapon. If you're not in the word of God, you're not reading the word of God, you're not uh, using this weapon, you are a wide open target. You're walking out into that demilitarized zone. You're about to get shot. You're keeping your head up <laughs> in your foxhole when there's fire going all around, going, ah, no big deal. And so this, you're leaving yourself open. Now you may say, well, you know what? I don't really, I haven't really read in a while. I mean, I'll read once in a while, but I don't know. It's not really much spiritual battle going on in my life. Everything seems to be fine. And Satan says, exactly. Yeah, you're no threat to me. The only threat to Satan is the blood of Christ, is the word of God. So when you don't pick up this weapon, <clears throat> it's, it's, you're, you are just as much, uh, you, Satan will just push you right in the back. You're no threat by not picking it up. So we have to, that, that, that one thing that you want to take out of this is the word of God is our, it is our basis for, bat, for fighting this battle. <clears throat> Preaching the kingdom of God. I want you to think about, think about that, <clears throat> but also think about what that means. You have authority with this word of God under Christ. So we must believe in the kingdom of God as it relates to God's rule and that legal transaction that has changed. Satan cannot touch us as it relates to that. He can't as it relates to that. Once we are under Christ's authority, fully under him and fully in this word, Look at Jesus, right? What did Jesus do when he was tempted? <clears throat> Three times in the wilderness. What did, he, what did he do? He went right to the word of God, to Satan, and just hit him right with the word of God. Three times, and then Satan finally left. It was worth, it. he was bulletproof. He was hitting him with the word. <clears throat> do not be afraid of confrontation with the evil forces. Don't be, respect that they're there, but don't be afraid knowing that the weapon you have is greater than the weapon that they have. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. <clears throat> know this, and I speak, I'm gonna speak as if everybody here believes in Jesus. The demons know your name. The demons know your name. Those evil, those evil forces, they know 
Elvira. They know Randy. They know Debbie. Okay, they know that person. They're not. You're, they're not going to say, <clears throat> "Oh, well, Jesus, I know, and uh, Paul, I know, but who are you, Randy? You know." No. So they're knowing your name, and they know your. They know not only your name. They know your parents' names and their parents' names. They know your struggles. They know your what you lean towards. <clears throat> they know your hot buttons. They know your temptations. They know your weaknesses. They watch you. I don't mean to be weird and supernatural here. I'm being just as what the Bible says. Why would Paul not? Get, why would he give us all this exhortation and this these words? Paul is no different than us. He is a man, human being, preaching the word of God. <clears throat> so know that they know your name and really know too that you can't counterfeit your relationship with the Lord. You don't want to do that. That's a dangerous thing. Especially go out, start to do ministry, start to get step out in the forefront and your relationship isn't right and you're trying to do it because this guy's doing it or that guy's girl's doing it. No, you'll get wiped out. So make sure that you're right with the Lord. <clears throat> and the last thing I'll close with was this, because I thought this was kind of neat. In the book of Revelation, there's uh, the letters to the seven churches in Asia. And Ephesus was one of them. And this is what Jesus said. I know your deeds and your labor and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil people. And you put those who call themselves apostles to the test and they are not. And you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary. But this I have against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you. Now remove your lampstand from this place unless you repent. And so this has to be our primary thing. Our first love. Who is our first love? Our first love is Christ. We were dead. He brought us back to life. We were dead in sins and trespasses. He brought us to life. And we responded in love. But then we are, because of our human nature and our sin nature, our love starts to grow cold. And that's when the enemy can start to come in. So the first things first, it, to take out of this, it, 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 to, to get started on this, <clears throat> go to Christ and make sure you've returned to that first love. Have that conversation with him. And it's as easy as that. You just come to him. That's what he desires. He wants us to, to come and fully trust in him. <clears throat> and with that, we'll pray. <clears throat>